Hello and welcome back to Booze, Booms and Busts, episode 75. My name is Boai Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on this week? Good evening. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty simple. Pretty good. Indeed. And this is, of course, the podcast where we discuss market events while at the same time quaffing a few beers, or at least one of us does. Uh, Sam, what are you drinking this evening? Ah, yes. Uh, I am the consumer of beers tonight. Well, so I, uh, I popped out for lunch today and um, there's a new Italian cafe uh, in my local high street and they've got an array of Italian beers. Now, the, the, the names of these aren't exactly uh, unknown, but the kind of beer that they are is certainly ones I've never had before. So I've got the first one I'm drinking tonight is a Birra Moretti, but it's a Birra Moretti alla Toscana. And All right. I, I, don't, I don't really know what that means. I've had Birra Moretti before and I like them, but I've never had a Birra Moretti alla Toscana. And it's got a like a cool like pencil drawing of an old Italian dude in like a fedora drinking a frothy beer out of a big old school kind of uh, barrel style beer mug, uh, 5.5%, 500 mil. And it says on it, Colore Dorato e Gusto Mobido. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> the second one I'm looking forward to the most because oh, yeah. it is, it is, it's a Peroni, again, a name that most people are familiar with, but it's a Peroni Gran Reserva Rossa, Vienna style. All right. Yeah. Funnily enough, complete coincidence, uh, I got a phone call from my sister today who said that uh, she's been getting into beer recently. And I was like, oh, really? Because uh, uh, she's not normally a beer person at all. And I was like, all right, what are you drinking? She says, she said beer Moretti, and she'd never heard of it before. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that, that's absolutely disgusting. But uh, I'm glad to hear that you've, uh, you've got a couple of those lined up, Sam. Um, mm. I've got to say, my, my, so I'm on about a week and a half, I guess, of Lent at this point, a week and a bit of uh, no booze for Lent. Hey, man. And uh, it's not nearly as dramatic as I was thinking it was going to be. It just makes life really boring, I found. Uh, so I'm not actually <laughs> gasping for a pint all the time. Uh, I'm not actually getting massive urge, urges or cravings for booze. Yet. I've just found that like watching TV shows uh is it's, uh, it's pretty boring i realized that netflix is actually it's pretty much intended for you to like consume booze while you're watching it is, because it the is. shows are right like they just don't stimulate i'm not i'm not even joking i've literally gone through a similar thing so obviously like having when, when you've got young kids there are some nights where you're just like I'm, I'm literally too exhausted to drink knowing that you'd have to be up at some ungodly hour but i still try and you know catch a netflix show or whatever and i just find myself not even starting a show because it's just like I can't watch this without having a drink, but I just don't want to <laughs> have a drink. And you just end up watching nothing. You just you spend more time flicking through what's available than yep. what's actually on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix best con best consumed with booze. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's been quite strange. I've got to say, my 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 quality of sleep isn't actually improving having not uh, not drinking at the minute. So um, I had a friend who did dry February, and right. he said like at the end of it there was no difference. Like it was just, uh, so I'm wondering whether or not going, giving up booze is actually, uh, has all the health benefits that everyone talks about. I, I, I probably reckon that it does, but only if you, only if you have some sort of lifestyle where you consume alcohol and you're just ungodly unhealthy as well. 
I think if you're mm. in pretty good nick and you still like a drink, then it probably doesn't affect you as much. Like you're probably yeah. not going to notice a big change. Yeah. I, I mean, I consumed an awful lot of booze. I mean, <laughs> I would drink out every night and it would be uh, several beers. So I was expecting it to be more dramatic when I just abruptly stopped <laughs> drinking. But, you know, well, who knows? We're only a weekend. Maybe, you know, maybe once I'm four and I end, maybe three, I'll suddenly be, you know, hammer it like kicking down the doors of the pubs trying to get in early and stuff next Maybe week you'll just be like welcome to, 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 to booze beer beer get me my beer yep that'll be me that'll be me i've still uh, i've not i've not been having any of the alcohol free booze so i feel like that's cheating yeah uh, and most of it is shit to be honest mm, yeah there's been an awful there's an awful lot of crap a alcohol free booze out there I mean, um, have you had, have you actually had any of it before? The, I've had, I've, the only one that I kind of could stomach was the Heineken 0.0s. Yeah, Heineken, yeah. The last time I've had, uh, I've had a few different uh, alcohol-free stuff because it's like an excuse to start drinking while you're working without actually drinking. But I found <laughs> that even the alcohol-free stuff gives me the same sensation, uh, like some of the same sort of symptoms of having booze. Yeah. Even when yeah, there's supposedly no booze in it. So, for example, uh, BrewDog, I think they're the only people I, I've, I've seen who've done a hazy alcohol-free beer. And I think it's alcohol-free, hazy Jane or whatever. And uh, it's, it's actually all right. But dr when you're drinking it, uh, I my ability to recall uh, names and uh, dates and things like that like disappears the same way as soon as I've had any other kind of beer or any, uh, any other kind of alcoholic drink. I think apparently the Guinness zero percent one is meant to be good. I've not tried it. Oh, um, yeah. I th I remember what like when I was a kid, my parents used to give me alcohol-free beer when they were drinking and stuff. I remember it was this, I think it was Gold Star, Gold Star ABA alcohol-free. It tasted disgusting. Like that stuff really was crap. I think the tech has improved since then. I, say, I can't imagine when when you were a kid. I mean, you're, you're a bit yeah, a fair bit younger than me, but even when you were a kid, the alcohol-free beer couldn't have been that good because it's really only the last couple of years that they've actually really made it dedicated effort to make it good yeah i feel like we must be going through one of these periods of like puritanism maybe there's something like where you know back in the day with uh some of the the early the very early uh dudes who uh, went to america and whatever and they had mm. the very puritanical views on uh when it came to alcohol sweets you know the, what they call graham crackers graham crackers in america being created by these guys because they were trying to reduce anything that was uh anything that you actually like enjoyed eating <laughs> i wonder if we're going through a similar cycle of that with all these millennials uh giving up booze and uh trying to go for more healthy healthy stuff i wonder if there's maybe something there i certainly have no sympathy for the movement though yeah i mean it's a tricky one, right? I think maybe it's it's got it. Does, is it a long term thing? Is it is it or is it? I don't know. It's tough, right? It's like then all of a sudden, you know, you see fucking a McPlant burger um, at, at McDonald's, and it's like, well, maybe this shit's staying around a lot longer than we thought. Hey, I think well, give it a, give it a war, and I think people are really going to appreciate the taste of alcohol pretty soon. Uh, so yeah. I'm only half joking here. Like if we do get into some kind of uh, sustained military conflict, like, or even if we just go through a period of very high food price inflation and think like, it's like the stagflation of the seventies, I think people are going to pick up an appreciation for booze pretty quickly. I was going to say, isn't there, haven't there been studies done um, 
around the the take up that you know alcohol alcohol consumption does increase during periods of conflict like considerably uh, yeah and just in terms of uh, recessions like if you just uh, yeah. put economic hardship it'll be uh it'll be a, a very big product just because you know when you're unhappy you're more likely to have a drink i guess well luckily the russians will have plenty of vodka to consume as the their economy goes through probably actually a depression um because no one else is fucking buying it that's for sure yeah, famously in the 1990s, when the Russians uh, defaulted on their debt, when Yeltsin defaulted on their debt, uh, people were actually using vodka as a form of currency uh, because there was uh, so little, you know, yeah, you know, means of exchange people could use because rubles had just gone down the toilet. Um, very, it's pretty depressing stuff, though. Uh, it is very sad to see what's going on over there because it, uh, and, and and at the same time, it's very, it's very. Still you fucked know, up, really. No, but to see to see commentators in the world, like really cheering it on when uh, you know the Russian economy is getting destroyed. I mean, like the oligarchs aren't really feeling that. I mean, okay, no. maybe take their yachts and stuff, but but blocking Abramovich from selling Chelsea isn't exactly you know it's it it while it gets a good headline and makes it look like they're doing something. It's um, yeah yeah. It's, it's 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 grandstanding at its finest. Not not that seizing the assets is is uh, is hurting the uh, the average average Russian dude, but uh, you know when it comes to the economic sanctions where you're locking them out of uh, loads of banks and you're uh, preventing the sale of uh, various uh, products from Russia over to uh, over to the West, apart from the ones that we want, of course, we'll we'll let those keep going. Uh, it is very bad to see. It's very hard to, you know, people cheering that on. They don't really understand what that's actually doing to the to, to the average guy over there. I think uh, there was one thing. It was from a former, I believe it's a former ambassador to Russia. I forget his name. Where he's saying like everyone in Russia is complicit with the invasion, and so Oof. like you, and it's just uh, this guy's like supposedly uh, a wizened statesman, you know, a great diplomat, and he's saying this kind of ridiculous shit on Twitter. And um, as the saying is in, in Scotland, I shacks me heed. It's not, it's not good to <laughs> no, see. I mean, all. like anecdotally, I'm hearing stories about people like canceling reservations at Russian restaurants and stuff like that. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Just, like, it's yeah, yeah. I, 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 this is something I find quite interesting. The willingness, the sudden, uh, I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, right? And yeah, already- well, exactly. Doesn't it feel like this has been fucking going for like a year already or something? Yeah, big time. And COVID, of course, is completely forgotten about all of the. So what, I, I don't understand what that word is you just said. I've never heard. Yeah, of it what was what was that? Yeah, no coronavirus. Oh, I mean, you mean the you mean what? lager? I mean, what? no, 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 no. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. What happened over the last two years. What? It's crazy. It's I thought crazy. Like, war, hasn't Russia been at war with Ukraine for two years? Mm. <laughs> Sorry. It's um, yeah, it's not. It's not. I think. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say the the sudden. It's only been two weeks, and the sudden desire to just hate Russians, I find uh, it's quite interesting. My theory is it's baby boomers wanting to feel young again, uh, because they've already had this youth of uh, McCarthyism and uh, that evil Russians are gonna invade and all of Flashbacks that stuff. Flashbacks to the '60s and '70s. Yeah, yeah, and even and the '80s. I mean, like the 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 sort of space war stuff with the missile programs in the '80s. There's still pl- loads and loads of Russian sentiment. Loads of movies with the Russian baddies. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, so we will be able to track. Oh, so the next Bond, right? Absolutely, is going to be a Russian villain, right? <laughs> Thought you were going to say it's going to be a Russian dude, and I was like, no, the next <laughs> Bond is not going to be Russian. 
no, 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 no. But um, yeah, yeah, you're franchise right. will get cancelled in that case. Um, yeah. So I, I sent you an interesting um, sort of in, in uh, live chart thing the other day, which you've probably no doubt seen something similar before, but it it tracked um, the the number of nuclear warheads that countries had over like over like the decades and, and how in like in the 70s it's just like skyrocketed and then sort of fell off a cliff after um the sort of the soviets the soviet union was broken um and and then there's it's, it's sort of it's sort of at, at considerably lower numbers than it was i think they were up in the tens of thousands at one point and it's still but they still have like four or five thousand nuclear warheads between russia and the u.s yeah, russia and the u.s the whole time yeah, and Russia uh, outranks the US by quite a fair number. But the problem mm. is, uh, of course, and it's you know, national security and whatever, but how many of those are actually viable and ready to be fired? Yeah, I think uh, given the amount of money it costs maintaining those facilities and everything, the number of missiles they must have right I'm sure it'll be plenty, you know, enough to do it to wipe out billions of people. But when you're actually thinking of the, the gross figures of how many nuclear warheads are available, uh, it'll be a lot less than uh, one would think or one would hope anyway well you know it's a lot less sorry not less a lot less than one would hope it is hopefully a lot less than the total figure yeah it's interesting i mean but <laughs> what every time I, I i hear the word nuclear I, I i get a little excited because um i i have i i get like a, a tech hard on every time we talk about nuclear stuff like nuclear power and nuclear energy because it's like because of the because because of the idea of nuclear warheads and nuclear bombs um and nuclear fucking meltdowns like chernobyl so just just as a side note how many times have you noticed recently that chernobyl all of a sudden is fucking headlines in the mainstream media about Mm -hmm. um, more radiation and and the issues like they're bombing a nuclear plant it's like nuclear is bad nuclear is bad nuclear is bad um it seems a bit suspect. I, mean, I don't want to buy into any conspiracy theories, but no, I feel I know exactly what you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, it does feel like um, maybe there would be an agenda there for. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about that when I was seeing those headlines, where uh, Chernobyl's back on the news. Uh, Russians are taking uh, nuclear plants. Uh, allegedly, there were firefights going on inside yeah. the plants themselves. The first time that's ever happened in a in a in a conflict. Um, you know, it's like something out of a modern warfare, you know, Call of Duty game or something. Uh, but at the same time, the, the way it's covered in the press, you wonder if uh, somebody's got a bit of an agenda where it, it comes to like nuclear it. energy. Yeah, it seems like it, particularly when like nuclear energy is starting to actually have a bit of a comeback because it's exactly. obviously a, a clear answer to a lot of these policies towards a cleaner and greener uh, environment. Seems like there there's some agenda out there to making sure that that's somewhat quashed in the in the public eye at least. Yeah, because now would be the time when a politician makes the big spend and the big commitment to developing nuclear power plants. It would be at this period that the rigid the promise begins and the construction begins. And if it's at this point where it's politically unsavory to do so, then uh, that could set the whole thing off and everything goes in a, in a, in a different direction. It is weird to see the uh, Biden go to Venezuela. Like it was only a couple of years ago, they tried to pull a coup in Venezuela. And here we are. No, no, no. And so, yeah. So, you know, and the Saudis the too, right? It's like, oh, we love Saudi now. Fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. But Venezuela, the, the two prisoners of war who were released, or well, the two American prisoners 
I don't believe they've identified who it was that was released. And I'm pretty sure it's the guys who tried to coup them two years ago. <laughs> I, it, I, it, I struggle sometimes to just like you, you would love to like they, some, they do openly admit in terms of, you know, putting in disposing of governments and, and putting in their own, uh, their own puppets. But You'd, you'd just love to be on the inner inner sanctum of what actually happens in the CIA and, and, and what they're actually trying to do in South America sometimes. Yeah. I, uh, I watched a movie from the 1970s, actually, 1975, called Three Days of the Condor. Uh, it's based on a book that was a bestseller at the time, and it was made into a Sky series much more recently that was just called Condor. Uh, and the film is a lot better than, than, the, than the series. The, the series is very contrived. But the, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, the series is very contrived. The film's very good with Robert Redford, uh, starring as this CIA analyst who uh, just goes through uh, publications to try and find if there's any, any hints that have been hidden in there uh, by uh, other intelligence agencies, and then come, goes out to pick up sandwiches for the office, and then comes back, and everyone's been shot. And he's trying to figure out what, what's going on. Anyway, it becomes a big energy. It turns out it's a big energy conspiracy. Uh, and there's sort of a CIA within the CIA that's trying to pull off, uh, you, know, uh, you know, coups and, and things like that in, in foreign countries in order to get access to the oil. And at the very end, there's this big uh, sort of confrontation or this big uh, sort of confession of, you know, if we're not looking out for the interests of the citizens in this country now, when we do actually need these resources desperately, uh, then the citizens aren't going to be asking what, you know, they're not going to care if we've actually done loads of stuff in a, ahead, you know, in the background, in the shadows, that's very nasty in order to secure them that energy when they actually need it. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it goes, it even goes beyond that hints, uh, hints at, well, you know, now it's oil. In the yeah. future, it'll be something else. And this was just the seventies. It's very, uh, it's, it's a good, really good movie. I recommend it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, like, the, for for my mind, there is what what one of the lasting legacies of what's happening right now, is that there is absolutely going to be this insane drive by economies and governments to be energy independent, to not rely on anyone else uh, for whatever they need to get to keep the lights on for their folk and keep energy bills affordable. Um, and it feels like it's going to be a, we will do this at any cost. And the, the average person is like, you know what, as long as my bill doesn't triple every fucking year at any cost is I'm okay with that. Yeah. And of course you have seen all of the, uh, the celebrities virtue signaling about how paying higher costs for energy is a patriotic donation to the fight against Ukraine, against Russia. But we can and, we can have higher oil as long as we don't buy his. And it's like wow, yeah. Well, it's you easy for you to say, mate. To the fucking working people of this country. Exactly, it's pretty. It's just so out of touch. So out of touch. What was it? Was it Colbert or whatever who said, "I I I don't mind if oil goes, you know, gas goes to fifteen dollars because uh, I drive a Tesla." And you got uh, Butt Jedge or Booty Jedge or whatever his name is. I just call him Butt Face. <laughs> yeah, Butt Jedge uh, up there saying that, uh, effectively saying, let them eat Teslas. You know, you won't have to worry about gas prices if you buy an electric vehicle. Yeah. And just so out of touch. I mean, the fact that, that guy was a, a presidential nominee 
Uh, well, not a nominee. He was he ran for it, ran for the nomination back in uh, 2020. It is crazy to to see him now on the podium, just saying, well, you know, high gas prices, but don't worry, you know, we're we're making steps towards the green transition, and you yeah. won't have to worry about gas prices if you just spend forty thousand dollars on an electric vehicle. You know, it's well, as easy as that. Can, if you can tell me, if you can find me an electric vehicle for forty thousand dollars, I'll be impressed. <laughs> I am. Um, do, do you know what's interesting is I was trying to figure this out today is so with the recent rise in energy costs including electric right so like my fucking my, my household electric tariff has doubled my gas has tripled my electric's doubled so if my electric's doubled then the cost if i had an ev which i don't because at the moment i kind of think they're shit but anyway that's a side story um so the cost to charge or fill up my ev if i had one would also have doubled if, if, if I'm mistaken, if my maths is correct, if my energy tariff doubles, then the energy to charge an EV would also double. Now, at the petrol pump, I can guarantee you that the price hasn't doubled. Okay, it's higher, but it certainly hasn't fucking doubled. So if I'm getting better range on an internal combustion engine car and my actual cost to fill it up hasn't gone up anywhere near as much as double, the, the, there's actually probably a closing of the gap. And then if you factor in the cost differential between an ICE internal combustion engine car and an EV, I would argue that right now with the cost of energy, that it's actually more cost effective to drive an internal combustion car long-term than it is an EV. Now, I might need to do some more hardcore number crunching on this and anyone that's an EV advocate or fucking fanboy or enthusiast as uh, people like to sometimes say, um, you know, challenge me on that. That's fine. But I think that if this continues and energy, electricity, electricity costs continues to rise much faster than gas and uh, much faster than um, the petrol price does, then um, the EV fanboys might be in for a bit of a rude shock. I think the buy electric vehicles to fight the Russians crowd, uh, I like. it just doesn't make sense anyway when you think of the amount of uh, very precious materials that are required for oh. the construction of these things that Russia is a major exporter of anyway. So things like nickel. palladium, <laughs> yeah, nickel. I mean, this stuff is, uh, you know, it's exploding in price. I mean, the nickel contract almost hit, I think it almost hit or did hit $100,000 on the yeah. LME today, yeah. uh, this week, which is crazy. On Tuesday. And they need all that stuff to yeah. make these cars. So it's not going to be cheaper and you're certainly not going to be more independent. If we're talking about making our countries more independent. Think about you as an independent uh, operator, as a sovereign individual, yeah. uh, you know, with an electric car, considering that they were freezing people's bank accounts for having the wrong views, mm. uh, you know, in the, in the, in the period that we have now forgotten, that was maybe called COVID-19. I can't remember. Uh, what are they going to do with electric vehicles? I mean, they'll just, they can shut off electricity to your house. They can probably, they'll probably be able to in the future, just turn off, like prevent you from accessing the car. Like you're not going to be able to open it uh, if you, if you have the wrong views. So I think internal combustion is still, uh, still would be my, my favorite. Actually. Do you know what's interesting is that as much as I'm a massive ad advocate for like smart tech and technology and stuff like that, I still kind of always want to know that I can still open my car with a key. I've seen a few new cars recently where it's like, oh, you can open it with your phone. And it's just like, I think we might have discussed this before. I've seen dudes hack 
into a car. This was like years ago now. I've seen dudes hack and take command of a vehicle um, over over the air, over over wireless networks. So, yeah, I, I think there's, I think I genuinely, so there's been a, there's a bit of a, res, a resurgence in the car world in, in this idea of resto mods, which is taking old vehicles and, and sort of modernizing them with more modern vehicle technology and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a shift with cars. I think so for a start, I think this idea of banning petrol and, and diesel vehicles by 2030, new new sales, I think that's going to get cut. I can't see that happening. I I I think as much as a lot of the car companies are like, we're all going, we're going full electric, we're only going electric. This situation might just say actually while we will have a lot of electric we're not going to completely shut down our internal combustion engine technologies either when you consider how efficient and how economically friendly they can be um yeah i I think there's a bit more to play out over the next three years again everything's subject to the security of supply and if um you know your energy is going up and the cost to make these things is going up. I don't know. I try not to buy into those fucking conspiracies about you will own nothing and be happy, but it's, they make it so hard to to, to, like, to not believe those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I similarly. I, I try not to indulge in in that side of it. I'm sure there are there are people. I'm sure Klaus Schwab believes in all this weird, crazy stuff at the World Economic Forum about you know people owning nothing, being happy, no privacy, all that. I'm sure he believes it. It's just how much influence he actually has. Yeah. I'm pretty skeptical of. Yeah. Um, but Sam, what? How would you rate your uh, your first beer? Ah, oh, so the beer of Moretti alla Toscana, which I I mean I I would like to know what that means. Like I know it's it's like you know Tuscan style. I don't know. It's really nice. Well, at least it was really, it's sort of started to be really nice. And then it's kind of got a little bit boring. Um, it's it's a decent strength, 5.5%. Um, I'm just going to give it like an a, a plus, I think. It was, it was good a without plus, being great. Got my, uh, my chewing tobacco here. I'm uh, currently on, <laughs> let's see, is it? Yeah, Odin's Extreme Portion. And this oh. is number, I think it's 29. Yeah, Odin's 29. Uh, it's bright green. It's got a kind of an apple flavor. Um, pretty good, though. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, my my uh, nicotine consumption has definitely uh, increased somewhat during this period, but I wonder if that's just me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it could be an alcohol thing. I'm not sure. Is it? Yeah. It's funny. It's just like substitution. It's like, well, I'm gonna take this thing and just gonna. Yeah, my crystal meth consumption has gone through the roof. Yeah, I remember I cut out alcohol once. You should have seen how much heroin I took when I did. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> wow, what a time to be alive that was. Yeah, guess what I'll be giving up next year for Lent. <laughs> heroin. Yeah, yeah, that's well. It's definitely a good hey, one um, if you are. Speak- Speaking of the commodities market, I do want to talk about it because it's been wild. I don't have, I mean, I've been obsessed with the commodities market. So, like, I'm Australian, which means that, and I'm I'm Australian of a of an of a era where I remember, um, I remember like my first introduction to investing when I was a kid. You know, it was literally like looking at stocks in the fucking newspaper, talkback radio, and calling a broker to place, uh, to place a stock trade. And you know, obviously now you've got apps where you can just you know it's like 
fucking pretend money. It's it's like a game, um, and that 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 change has been radical over my lifetime, which is only a few decades, right? Um, but as an Australian, uh, back in those days, it's really hard to invest like overseas, like in the US or UK or whatever, or Asia. So pretty much all we had to do was invest in stocks on the ASX. And that meant all you ever did was invest in mining companies and maybe some biotech companies. So I've got like this lifelong obsession with fucking commodities and resources. And when I when I see that market trading like crypto, which it has in the last week, I just, it, it's, it enthralls me in a way that you can't even imagine where you've got, especially now that you've got like leveraged long and leveraged short uh, ETCs that you can you can buy on a whim within you know your, your broking account. I've I've longed and shorted commodities <laughs> over the last week, and that actually actually been pretty good with my timing on it. It is so much fun. It's like the it's like commodities are the meme stocks of. So we we had the meme stocks in 2021. It's like commodities are the meme stocks for 2022, and I fucking love it. Yeah, it is a crazy time for commodities. What did you long and what did you short, Sam? Mm. So when the conflict kicked off, I started longing uh, oil and then I wound out of the oil long and then moved some of that. Oh, and I also had a copper long as well. And then I wound, I took those off just before they started, like when it was like peaking earlier this week. And then I shorted nickel like as soon as, and so the difficulty was, is that the LME shut nickel trading, but you could still kind of occasionally throughout the day, um, in trying to place a position, some of these ETCs is that you could, you know, they, they basically wouldn't quote you prices um, through the day, through the brokers. And then like just sporadically, they would switch back on and you could kind of get a live quote in and actually put an order in. I think I might've yeah. got lucky in getting one, but I shorted nickel. I think it was basically Tuesday. Um, perfect timing. Like like the, the, the nickel short was like a hundred percent the next day. And then nice. I think it was, I think it was off the next day, but then even today it's like another 25%. So it's just fun. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a playground of high risk, <laughs> high risk and very little reward to be honest, but it's got so much fun. Well, I'm glad somebody's having a, having a good time out of all this mess. I must say, yeah, commodities are, it is interesting to see like the fracking sector become like really mature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like the the U.S. government asking the 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 fracking companies themselves to then ask their investors to give them more money. <laughs> it's very it's very um, it's funny to see how things have changed so much. Given that frackers were political enemy number one, uh, if we just wind back a couple of years, and everyone was applauding the fact that they were getting destroyed, and now here we are, and we're not only are we are we asking the frackers to pump more oil we are asking them to uh we're asking them to ask for more money and we're going to uh you know places like venezuela to ask them to give us more more of their oil please please what's can you the, give us um, more of your what's the situation we in the uk with with that stuff with fracking and shale gas and all those sorts of things is there they're like is there like these rich deposits that they just have have basically been greenwashed out of over the last few years yeah, the, the relationship the UK has with land and the relationship America does is quite different. So the, the topic of fracking in the UK has once again returned. 
but it's just a completely different ball game over here. There are supposedly some rich deposits in uh, in the south, but I um, it does seem like it does seem quite it would be quite strange to to imagine the UK government at this time doing it. Though so, you know, if oil continues to blow up, then uh, quite possibly we'll see we'll see fracking in the UK. But at the minute, I would be very surprised if they did do a turnaround on it. Uh, with the UK banning Russia's oil, I think it's only eight percent of uh, Russian oil that gets here to the UK that you know that we rely on. So I think it is mostly a token gesture. Though at the same time, prices are made you know made on the margin. So eight percent difference. I mean, eight percent is a lot, and if you're thinking in energy terms. Yeah, if you uh, think about it in the in the overall, it's it's a lot. But like, it's 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 not a lot, but it's quite a lot when you think about how much the UK actually consumes. Yeah, yeah, big time. I mean, uh, Sam, what's your? Do you think this commodity boom is gonna is gonna continue, or do you think this is gonna be a flash in the pan? Maybe the world will come, you know, come to its senses, and everything will ease off for a little while. Because it feels like over the past couple of days, we're seeing a bit of an easing off of some of the uh, some of the shocks. But uh, you know, it's certainly we're nowhere near the end game. I don't think. Definitely the meme stocks. Definitely the meme stocks of twenty twenty two. I think. Uh, the, the 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 disjoint between the actual supply and demand in the market versus the actual price runs that some of these things have gone on is is mental. And let's not forget, like while while some people are like you know this is gonna this may be a prolonged war. It's gonna have issues with you know oil and wheat and corn and fucking everything, nickel. Well, even though Russia's not a huge nickel supplier and all this sort of stuff, at, at some point it will it will come to an end as well now that you know there and if it does there's two ways to play that right you 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 play the market on the fact that putin wins is that even a, a term that you can use in this thing uh and that the world will never deal with russia economically again except for maybe china india pakistan um except the largest countries on the planet <laughs> the largest countries with the largest populations on the planet yeah so, you know, realistically, Russia probably doesn't give a fuck. Um, but then, so, but if that's the case, then you kind of, the, the world balances that out, right? And so though, you know, it finds other, it finds other, it's like, there was a great, there's a great meme going around um, that's taken uh, that, that um, scene from Moneyball where the, he's talking about the players that, that, that produce and get on base and it's been sort of subtitled with the oil situation and it's one of the great memes of the week <laughs> of, this, of, of, of this sort of uh, situation but that it, it describes what, exactly what will happen is that, that, that they'll just be they'll look otherwhere uh, for to, to make up any shortfalls and so the prices will come back to a relative equilibrium and and so for me, it's like it's you just I just see all these opportunities to short a lot of the market with some of these commodities. I find that interesting because I mean, you say equilibrium, certainly they can stabilize it. It's just whether or not they stabilize at a, a, a higher price, yeah, or that everyone than everyone's been used to. Because over the past uh, decade, really, we have just become a used to oil pro- oil being very low post mm-hmm. the uh, post financial crisis boom. Uh, and you know, everyone blaming it on shale and just assuming that shale is just going to keep pumping and pumping and pumping. And whenever oil prices get very high, they'll just flood the market with oil again. And it's just the past couple of years, uh, well, past year, especially, uh, I mean, it, it, even a year ago, the shale guys were saying, we can't, we're not going to be able to add a huge amount more to plant, uh, you know, on, uh, 
we're not going to add be able to be able to add a huge amount more uh, because our investors are becoming a lot more dis are disciplining us and they're preventing us from drilling uh you know wherever we want all the time just trying to uh, produce as much oil as possible and even now when you would imagine that they would you know if, if there was ever a time to start uh drilling like crazy now would be the time they're not they don't appear to be doing it so yeah it well, feels so this, like... is, this is why i get a hard on for nuclear and nuclear power because you can produce a fuck ton of energy that you can put into technologies that kind of do away with the need for a lot of gas um, and so while I say that I think there are a lot of opportunities to short the market, I am like super bullish on the, on, on uranium and, uh, nuclear energy. I think it is, I think it is going to be, I think it's had, it's had such a fucking bad rap for so long oh, for so many different reasons, very unfairly. And this may be the, the tipping point, the catalyst where people actually realize that it is, easily the best energy option the world has for anything and that when you think about the technologies that can be used to heat homes um that can be used to generate power for your fucking evs and and, and all that sort of stuff is that nuclear power is absolutely the option and that's just the existing nuclear fission um, nuclear fission technology if they crack so i just saw actually recently there's a company called tokamak energy and they've just achieved the commercialization temperature of nuclear fusion, which is a huge, huge step forward in that sector as well. And if they can crack commercial nuclear fusion power, then the energy conversations we're going to be having in a couple of years time are going to be radically different because that is clean, abundant, free energy. Uh, and that could upend markets if, if if companies like tokamak energy can 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 genuinely commercialize nuclear fusion technology there's the fucking markets are gonna go tits up for gas and stuff like that yeah uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention um and maybe this is the kind of environment where someone finally does crack fusion and we see yeah i mean so you can't even imagine what fusion would do maybe it's overplayed but if it feels like such a, an unknown what nuclear fusion power would do to the world and whether or not it'd be... Because imagine one country tries to keep it a secret, right? Or they've got it and they, they treat it as a national security uh, risk or national security, sort of national security intellectual property mm. risk and they don't want to share it with anybody. How long would it take for the rest of the world to figure out what was that, what was going on, and what the secret was to nuclear fusion and stuff like that? Because everyone assumes that if nuclear fusion arrives, that everyone gets free energy. And given the way the world is at the moment, I'm not sure people would be that inclined to share it with everybody. Uh, you'd want to use it to try and uh, to leverage your influence over other countries and stuff. I mean, what do you think? Do you think if someone cracks it, that they'll be like, "Yo, we're open sourcing this tech. Anybody can create." nuclear fusion reactor yeah i do because i just think there's so many so many organizations and companies working on it that are so out in the open already about it that you couldn't hide it you couldn't keep it a secret um that and that some of them some of these are private companies some of them are government funded as well but there's so many doing it that that and and that they release a lot of information about how they do certain things is that you find that 
I, I know everyone's always like, it's always another 10 years away. It's always another 10 years away. And it is always another 10 years away to a point because they said that about fucking solar energy and they said that about EVs and stuff as well. There's always a tipping point, always at some point. And I just think we're a lot closer to that tipping point than we've probably ever been, particularly with some of the advancements that have come in that sector in the last sort of 12 months. And I think this, this war, like you say, is, is kind of that tipping point. And we may even see a greater... So like even Rolls Royce has been developing small nuclear reactor stuff. That's not that's not fusion. That's fission stuff. But I think we're going to see a great deal of investment and acceleration in nuclear, just for the reasons of of this you know of the war and the byproduct of what that could mean if if another war kicks off. Yeah, I mean, do you think? Yeah, do you think like? Well, I mean, do you think uh, if we do get fusion soon or we do get it, say, in the next year or something like that, uh, just building the infrastructure for that would need to be pretty enormous, right? If you're actually um, going to roll it out in a big way. Well, I think I think some of the big projects in Europe is they've already kind of got the infrastructure in place. It's just about cracking the ability to uh, generate. economically generate commercial uh, fusion power. So it, it's, I don't know that. But apparently Alexa doesn't know about that. But anyway, um, <laughs> the Alexa in my office is like, sorry, I don't know about that. Um, it's just the issue. So like they can create fusion energy, but it's just the cost to create the energy is more than the energy that is created at the moment. And so once they can get past that tipping point, then all of a sudden you can sort of run with it. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit too optimistic about these things, but even if it's not fusion, I think nuclear fission technology as well, the existing stuff we've got is very, very fucking good. And the instances like Chernobyl, which is very, very old when there were some very, very poor um, safety mechanisms in place for that. And Fukushima, which again, had some issues around the construction of that plant, um, considering where it was, which modern, other modern, modern plants don't have, also considering their geography and where they're located. Um, well, they got hit by a tsunami, right? I mean, no one blames exactly. the tsunami. tsunami. Yeah, <laughs> which to be fair, but it was supposed to have been tsunami proofed, I think, to an even bigger one. But I, I oh, don't right, know what right. it was. Um, but yeah, because you have to have you have to have nuclear um, reactors pretty close to a major water source. That's why a lot of them yeah. are coastal, right? Um, yeah. And if you're on a fault line, then yeah, you're susceptible to things like tsunami. <laughs> but uh, in the UK, you're not susceptible to a thing like a tsunami, right? And so there, you know, there are there are two plants that it, so there's Hinkley Point C, which is scheduled to come online in 2026, I think it is, and there's another one in Somerset, is it Somerset, I think, um, or somewhere around there, um, Sizewell, which is soon to be approved. Um, and so that would be two very big fucking nuclear power plants in the UK that would generate a shit ton of energy. Uh, I think this is just the start of it, man. I, I'm, but genuinely, and I think Australia's Australia's like had a fucking love hate relationship with uranium for a long time around issues with uh, rights, land rights, and things. Um, a whole whole bunch of issues. But even they might, I think, finally be coming around to the idea that nuclear power plants could be a very good solution to a lot of the energy issues they face. So. And China builds China builds nuclear power plants as fast as they build fucking EV car companies. Um, they've got so many of them, and I got loads more coming online. I, I am just like massive. I'm a big nuclear fan. Bring it, bring, bring it. <laughs> it does feel like uh, 
we're going back to a lot of Cold War themes with like a nuclear age and seeing nuclear as this new energy source or, well, we're kind of returning to nuclear, people sort of rediscovering nuclear as this energy source that has all these possibilities. And maybe, uh, and especially with the inflation, like in the 70s, a lot of Cold War yeah, vibes. Yeah. Maybe we're just heading back to that kind of territory. Um, new space race and shit, man. It's all fucking yeah. history on repeat. Yeah, Cold War Two, eh? <laughs> uh, well, I just hope we get some. Uh, hope we get some decent movies and people get back to drinking again. Eh? Well, what was it that you said? That is it three days of three days of the Condor. When was that shot? Was that the seventies? Did you say nineteen seventy-five? Yeah, Robert. Oh, hey, if we get some good movies like that coming back, hey, <laughs> yeah, the the return of decent cinema instead of all these uh, Marvel reboots and sequels and what. Having said that, I did just see the trailer today for the Obi Wan Kenobi series that Disney's. Oh my for. god. It looks fucking good, man. It looks so good. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. It looks really good. Uh, is this is this like with Disney cancelling all their stuff in Russia? So are the Russians not going to be able to to watch this new show because they're the evil Russians? <laughs> Probably. The, 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 they'll recast the characters. Just some shirtless Russian dude riding a fucking bear or something. Although, well, uh, do you know what? Do you remember? Uh, I've seen a few memes about this recently about the only thing that can stop this war is uh, Kendall Jenner and Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see that one. Uh, Kendall Jenner, Jenner rolling up at the Kremlin with her, uh, with her Pepsi can and then uh, you know approaching Putin's office and then handing one over. Putin just cracking a Pepsi and just... Yeah, yeah. And then smiling. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, folks, we shall end it for this week's episode. Uh, Sam, any closing ratings for your beers? Uh, yeah. So the Grand Reserva is actually a very good beer, man. This is, this is. Um, I mean, they 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 obviously. I don't know what Vienna style means. Maybe you have a better idea than I do. Um, it's not it's not as uh, red as I, I probably was expecting it to be, but it is very very tasty, very easy to drink, very nice. I'm giving this a B plus. Oh wow, lager is getting a very good rap in this episode of BBB, and I can't, I can't counterattack with some some beers of my own. But uh, I'll, I'll need to think long and hard what beers I'm going to drink for the, you know, in five weeks' time when we get finally get back to drinking on booze, booms, and busts. Quite a while to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I can think very long and very hard about what these beers are going to be. I'll probably only decide like the day before or something. It'll be a spur of the moment thing. Uh, well, that is all for this week, folks. We shall be back again with episode 76 of Booze, Boons and Busts. Uh, our schedule at the minute is a bit all over the place, as yeah. both Sam and myself are, uh, you know, got a lot of different things going on. Uh, however, hopefully we shall be able to get you another episode in the next week. That's all for the moment. Have a good one. Bye-bye.